Welcome back to the Psychotist Podcast, everybody. This is your special Giro d'Italia preview episode coming to you just before the race kicks off. By the time you get this, it'll be probably within the next, I don't know, 24, 36 hours, something like that. And we're going to talk through, you know, key stages, the contenders, the sprinters, the climbers, and then in detail, the stages that lie between now and our next episode, which will be early next week. Uh, so we'll talk about the stages in Hungary and all the rest. With us today, we've got Johnny Long in Hungary. You're at the start of the Giro. How was it, Johnny? You've been wandering around today, just checked out the team presentation. What's the vibe like? I realized when you said that if I'd been clever, I would have learned how to say hello in Hungarian. But um, <laughs> I haven't done that yet or learned any of it. It's pretty chilled out here. I mean, it's a, it's the Giro as well, so kind of every anything goes. It's not like it's not like at all where everything's sort of compartmentalized into every five minutes. Um, the weather's good. The buildings are either impressive or falling down in Budapest. It's generally a, a good vibe. Quite a lot of Gucci, which is one thing I've picked up today. And I think there's like a lot of real Gucci and then a lot of fake Gucci, which kind of have you picked up, up some of that for yourself? You mean when you say picked up, not, have you bought that? <laughs> not, not, not yet, Dane, but um, I, I can take requests. <laughs> you shouldn't, shouldn't, do not let our social edi- editor Mikey hear you say that because he okay. will absolutely request a giant pile of fake Gucci. <laughs> no, no question, no question in my mind. Well, you just heard Dane there. Dane, you're also on the episode today. How are you? Hello. Yeah, doing fine. Thanks. Looking forward to talking Jiro. Talking Giro, I'm. How did the Giro? How is it the Giro already? I don't know. How did we get I, here? I, I feel like that way every year, but more uh, for some reason even more so this year. It's like this sort of the season ramps up throughout the entire classic season, and then we finally get to exhale after Liège, and then all of a sudden it's the Giro right around the corner. So, like I said a second ago, Johnny, you just got back from the team presentation. Uh, having been to a number of those at the Giro, they're they're always interesting. Um, they're very Italian. <laughs> <laughs> for anybody who's been to Italy, kind of know what I'm what I mean there. Uh, was this one? In, was it very Hungarian, or was it um, was it still very Italian? They they had some dancers who at first got on stage in like gladiator uniforms, which was like you know not the only sort of image you can have of Italy. Like, come on, guys, it's like surely worn out by this point. But then they got changed into, I guess, like. The Huns? I don't know. I, really, I haven't been to any museums yet, so my knowledge of sort of Hungary and everything is is lacking. Um, but the the main the main interesting point and takeaway was Groupon FDJ up on the up on the stage, and you have Attila Valter, who's I think the only Hungarian, or at least the most prominent Hungarian, because he wore the Malia Rosa last year. He's there, and then to his right was um, the Italian rider Jacopo Guarnieri, who has been outspoken on LGBT issues before. And he was wearing a trans rights wristband or like a sweatband, um, mm. which is a subtle but I guess noticeable if you're if you're looking for it um, nod to the issues currently in Hungary. Yeah, let's let's touch on that really briefly before we get into the rest of the the preview because we do think that this is important to talk about. Um, and you you did an interview while well, you did part of a roundtable with the CEO of RCS, which is the the organizer of the Giro d'Italia. Uh, that story went up yesterday. Um, can you provide a little bit of background on we don't again we don't need to go into massive amount of detail here mm. but a little bit of background on, on what some of the issues are in Hungary uh, with the government there and the rules uh, and laws uh, around LGBT issues? Yeah, it's a it's like a it's a tricky one to piece together, and I will inevitably 
sort of not get the full scope of it. But the main takeaways are a year or two ago, there were anti-gay and anti-trans laws passed, which basically uh, banned the promotion of gay or LGBT lifestyles. Um, So for instance, I think in adverts, you can't have like, for instance, like two men kissing. Um, During, outside of the hours of 9am to 5pm, you can't have any LGBT people on on television. Um, So you could only be gay from nine to five? Yeah, it's the, it, yeah, it's sort of like some weird reverse Dolly Parton uh, vortex that they've caught themselves up in. Um, there's other like there's other ones where it's, you you can have a civil partnership, but you can't have same sex marriage. Um, you you can't legally cha- you can't legally change your gender. It's like it's sort of a it's it's a it's a weird one because it's not as severe as other countries. And it's obviously a sliding scale in the spectrum, but there's obviously still issues here, and it's something that is sort of relevant when you have the Jira coming to Budapest and is something worth, I guess, noticing and taking note of. Yeah, I mean, you know, the reason why RCS goes to these places, the reason why I went to Israel, the reason why it's in Hungary is because it is it is financially beneficial for RCS. Um, there's not a whole lot we can say beyond that legally, I think, uh, but it is financially beneficial for RCS, otherwise they wouldn't be there. And so they have to kind of expect questions like this. So. When when you spoke with the CEO of RCS yesterday, what what was the kind of response? To, were there any? Is there a statement on this? Is there a position on this? What do they say? To speak candidly, and hopefully this doesn't get me in any trouble until I leave on Monday, it kind of felt like it hadn't occurred to them that it would be something brought up necessarily. Like it was the same old sort of answer of, you know, we're we're sports organisers. We don't want to bring politics into sport, but. The fact of the matter is, is that I, I, I'd have to look at the starlist, but if there's any Russian riders riding the Giro, they won't be racing for Russia. They're, they'll have like a, a blank space where their nationality should be, which is already a political thing. Um, so like, and sport is political. It always, it always has been, always will be in some sort of way. Um, so they didn't really have a response for it. I think it's, they kind of maybe just didn't want didn't want it to become a whole thing, but it's, there's like, what, what, what can they say? They've, they've sort of made their decision to bring it here. They have Viktor Orban in power in Hungary, who is basically an ally of Putin, I think you can say. Um, they're at least closely aligned and Orban has been blocking um, arms coming into the Ukraine because they share a border. So, you know, it's kind of a, it's, it's not as simple as if it's been, you know, when the tour's held in Denmark, there'll be sort of less of these these questions yeah i think that's probably safe to say um you know there was there was a bit of an underneath the story that you wrote yesterday there was some comments uh that i think are worth addressing which is basically people asking why why we would choose to talk about this when essentially there are other issues in the world and and there are other issues that touch cycling in the world and people you know somewhat validly point out that like a lot of the other countries that bike racing comes to are not perfect, including the United States, where two of the three of us are currently making a podcast from. I mean, some of these laws uh, find mirrors, not perfect ones, but similar type of thing right now in Florida, the don't say, don't say gay laws that are currently um, quite contentious in Florida with, with like Disney Corporation getting involved and all these other things. So, you know, uh, those in glass houses perhaps should not throw stones, I think is the argument. But wh- wh- why, why, do we, why do we feel the need to talk about this, Johnny? Yeah, I mean, like, 
me if I was if I was back home in Britain, I mean, there's currently sort of policy being discussed where they're just going to ship illegal immigrants to Rwanda. It's just like we we sort of live in this weird, bizarre world where just horrible things going on all the time. But I think the difference is is that if we're at a bike race in the US or the UK, you can still kind of you can you can you could write these articles about you know sort of like how how the politics is and the societal issues are being sort of legislated and what the vibe is whereas when you come here there there is sort of um there's an undercurrent of like don't maybe don't speak about this don't discuss it that is you know it's hard it's hard to gauge it after a couple of days but there's i think that is the main the main difference is that here if like the, it may, it's an, there's an uncomfortability about discussing the fact that there are these anti-gay laws yeah and uh, just just to be perfectly blunt like we got a bit of we got a bit of um, formal, semi-formal blowback <laughs> yesterday on that story, which I, we can't really discuss in detail. But like, yeah, it, it, writing stuff like that is a bigger deal where you are right now than in a lot of other places in the world that cycling goes to. So that makes them worth writing, we think. Um, anyway, I, I, I think it's awesome that, that Guarneri did that uh, mm. on the... I mean, if it was after 5 p.m., I guess that would have been illegal. Uh is that how I'm reading the law? Am I reading the law correct? correctly? Well, then the other thing I was reading is that, like, I think it's illegal to protest as well, which I'm sure it is in, like, a number of countries. I think even in Britain, it's kind of semi-illegal to protest these days. But so that means, like, if the Giro want to do one of their protests of a 250-kilometer-long stage, are the Peloton allowed to do that? Will they all get locked up? I would hope not. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the, you know, the, but 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 what Jakob did was a, was a form of protest, right? And we've seen those That's wristbands true. actually on, on quite a few quite a few American riders, um, particularly when like Crossworlds went to Arkansas where there are uh, anti-trans laws on the books. Um, we've seen those exact wristbands. In fact, I, I haven't seen the photo closely enough, but I, I wonder if that wristband is from Molly Cameron's organization. I think it's likely that it is. Um, anyway, it is a form of protest and I guess kudos to, to Grenieri for sticking his hand up in the air literally uh with a with a trans rights wristband on now if this if anything else happens in this story we'll obviously we'll keep you up to date we've asked the questions that we can ask of the people that we can ask them and we feel that um you know until we get responses it's hard to move the story forward but we did feel it was worth worth talking about on the podcast today so that aside let's get into bike racing like I said before, we're gonna we're gonna sort of talk through key stages throughout the entire race, like the ones that you're really gonna want to tune in for, uh, and then we'll talk about the contenders, both for the overall, for the sprints, for the climbs, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the last thing we'll do is we'll talk specifically about what's coming up in the next couple of days, what the stages in Hungary look like, and essentially what's gonna happen between now and the next time we make a podcast. So. Dane, turning to you, uh, you and Matt Denif, you both put together our pair of previews here, uh, one of which was the, the stage preview, the other of which was a contenders preview. Uh, let's start with the key stages here. This, this actually came from Matt Denif. He's the one that put together our stage preview. But what are the, what are the, what are the stages that are going to define this Giro? And then how do we kind of classify this Giro, right? Like, is, is it a... Is it a traditional climber's Giro? Is it a insane Zomanyan Giro? It is, what, what is this Giro this year? Well, yeah, I guess to, to start off, uh, the, the, the very first stage would be a, a good one to watch, whether it'll have a huge impact on the GC, I, I, don't, I don't know. 
Uh, but it'll be a fun one that, that's got a, a kind of a tricky uphill finish. So the first pink jersey is going to go to someone with a little bit of versatility. Uh, I think it's very likely that that first pink jersey is going to go to one of the biggest names on the start list in Matthew Vanderpool. Uh, although Caleb Ewan also may be in the mix there. So in terms of getting things going, they're, they're going to have at least some action there rather than just a, a pan-flat day. Uh, the first real mountain finish won't take place until they head to Italy. So it's three days in Hungary. Um, and the, the the sort of Hungarian Open will... It'll also have a time trial, by the way, uh, stage two, but it's less than 10K, so it's not going to have a huge impact on the GC. It's like a stage uh, but, two prologue. It's kind of a strange yeah, it, yeah. strange thing. And that's honestly, that's one where Vanderpool could also do well. So we could have a, a very matchy Vanderpool heavy first few days. Uh, so stage two, I guess we'll have... I mean, there will be, there will be gaps... Because it's a time trial. I don't think it's going to be a really important one. But stage two will be, I guess, your first real big you know, day for GC action. And then stage four, they're going to go up Mount Etna, as they so often do, uh, after they head to Italy. Um, and and that's, going to be, that's going to be interesting. Uh, some hilly stages there uh, through, the first, through the next several days. And then uh, stage nine is a really tough one uh, where they're going to ascend uh, a, a pretty hard climb. Uh, in, in the run-up, uh, the Paso Lanciano, and then they're going to climb the, the Blockhouse climb, which is a great climb. Uh, it's sort of a stair-step uh, run-up to it, and then there's this just steep... Real, it's it's, it's uh, nearly 14K at over 8%. Uh, it's a really, really tough one, and that should, that should have a big impact, obviously. And then some quieter days. Uh, days for the sprinters, days for the breakaway... Uh, quite a few, really, uh, kind of hilly days or, or flat stages uh, in between uh, the, the blockhouse day. And the next interesting kind of tricky one, I think, would be stage 14. Um, and and by the way, Kaylee already pointed this out, but Matt Denif you know, did this this stage-by-stage stage, uh, breakdown on our on our site. So definitely check that out. And that's uh, that's absolutely what, I mean, we're, we're going from here. He, he really did a great job with that. Um, Stage 14, it's got these really interesting circuits uh, in Torino. And it's not really hard. Like, none of the climbs are really hard, but there's a lot of up and down. Uh, and it, it could be an interesting one to watch. Um, I don't think it's going to have a huge GC impact, but it's a, it's a cool one. Uh, stage 15 will have a big GC impact. That's a day that closes out with three tough climbs uh, and one that's, I think, going to have uh, serious GC implications uh, the riders will then get a rest day, which is good, because the next stage is really hard. Uh, when they come back from the rest day, stage 16, there are three Cat 1 climbs. Uh, it's that, that includes the Paso del Motorolo, which is a, a pretty famous climb. Uh, and then there's a pretty steep climb, and then a descent to the finish. And I think we're going to have some serious GC action there. The very next day is going to have more GC action uh, it goes from Ponte de Leno, which is a pretty important place in Giro history, uh, to Lavarone, and there are more tough climbs. So 16 and 17, both tough days. Uh, then there's a little bit of respite before the final three days will all have, I think, some GC implications. And that, I mean, that's always the case, really. I guess the final stage sometimes goes to the sprinter, so not really. But the finale of the race tends to be pretty tough, and that's the case again this year. Uh, stage 19 
it's not super hard, but there's a Cat, well, a cat 2 very steep finale. Uh, and then stage 20 is the the really tough one of the Dolomites uh, that's going to, uh, I think, I mean, the, the race could already be decided by this point, uh, but it's got enough hard climbs that things are going to get, there's definitely going to be huge gaps. Uh, the, the Paso San Pellegrino is a, is a tough Cat 1. Then they go to the Chimacopi, the highest point in the race, which is 2,239 meters of altitude at the Paso Pordoi. Let's see what that is in feet for those uh, who use... That's 7,345 feet. Uh, so if you're from Colorado, that doesn't seem like a lot. But if you're coming from flat land, that's quite a bit of altitude. Uh, and that's going to have an impact, I think. And then they're going to finish on a very steep climb uh, to Marmolada. Uh, that should be a good one. And I, like I said, I think the GC could potentially already be decided by then. But if it's not, it's definitely going to have an impact. Uh, the final stage in Verona is a time trial. Uh, it's a not a long one, 17.4K, but there is a Cat 4 climb right in the middle of it. Um, and it's going to, I think, ho- hopefully... Uh, if the race is still close, uh, that having that time trial, we've talked about this before, Kaylee, and uh, a number of other Grand Tours, where a late time trial hopefully will, will kind of force the climbers to attack in the uh, preceding stages, knowing that that's coming up. Uh, this isn't a really long time trial, and there's a climb in it. Uh, but it, it's it's there. Um, so if, if the race is close, and if you know there are climbers who know that there's somebody else kind of up at the top of the leaderboard who... Uh, who has a better TT than they do, uh, maybe the fact that there is that stage 21 TT will inspire them to get aggressive. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what's going to close out the race, and that's going to be a big one. Uh, so really, as so often is the case, the GC stages kind of ramp up a couple in the early goings and then quite a few in the last uh, week and a half. Yeah, that last week is nasty. <laughs> I mean, cause it, which is not that surprising, right? The, the race goes from Hungary to Sicily, and then from the south to the north. Which is um, where all the famous Italian, Giro d'Italia climbs are, really. I mean, yeah, right yeah. I mean, uh, the, the Italian Alps and the Dolomites are, are where the, the big days are going to be. I mean, you know, like the Apennines, the, the, the sort of the spine of Italy, they can be quite difficult stages. And the Giro is certainly kind of notorious for having stages that on paper don't look as difficult, perhaps, but but in reality end up being incredibly difficult because... Often the roads are quite bad, uh, particularly in the southern half of the of the country, and it's just this sort of constant up and down and up and down and up and down. So, I mean, we 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 mentioned the stages that you should definitely sort of tune in for, uh, but it's the Giro. You should tune in for every stage because you never know what's going to happen at the Giro. So, given that, Dane, like, what? How do you characterize this race? Like, who who is it for? And then we'll kind of get into contenders and talk about who might actually win it. Yeah, I think it's a pretty squarely in the climber-friendly camp. Um, the, the, the lack of TT mileage uh, and the fact that uh, the first TT ends with a Cat 4 climb and the final TT has a climb right in the middle of it, it's really not going to be very TT specialist-friendly. Uh, I think this is one of the most climber-friendly Grand Tours we've seen in quite a long time. Uh, and that that's reflected in the start list. There are, there are quite a few riders who, uh, who I think that will suit very well. There's a few who, who won't love it, uh, who are still here anyway. We'll get to that. Uh, but I think it's a climber-friendly race, and ho- hopefully 
the the small amount of teaching that there is on the on the starless as I, or on the route as I said will will inspire those guys to be active. We'll see. I think it will. And then there's Tom Dumoulin, and we don't really know why he's here. Yeah, he's the he's the one who's uh, well. But and then again, I mean, he probably he's getting his likes back. He's getting his likes back. Yeah. Before we get on to before we get on to contenders and all the rest, uh, a brief mention of the Cycling Tips Giro Fantasy Game. Now you probably have seen a banner for this on CyclingTips.com this week. Uh, Maybe you got an email about it if you're a Velo Club member. This is our it's our Giro Fantasy. Now this doesn't work like some other games where you pick a team or anything like that. It's more a day to day thing. So on every there's actually two different ways that you can run it with your friends. You can you can create a league just like anything else. Invite your buddies. Uh, compete against each other. In fact, I have created a league called Cycling Tips Podcast or CT Podcast, uh, which I invite all of you to come compete against myself, Dane. We'll throw Johnny in there as well. Uh, I'm notoriously bad at this. Dane is notoriously good at it. So I imagine that most of you will finish somewhere in between the two, <laughs> between the two of us. And anybody who beats Dane, frankly, uh, maybe maybe we'll like let you come on the podcast sometime and give I, us your picks for the next to be week. fair i helped come up with the scoring system so <laughs> i mean it, it i would hope i would do well uh, well yeah. since you did that why don't you explain the the rules of engagement sure. here let's do that so uh, it 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 now kind of mirrors a lot of fantasy competitions um where you are awarded points for your your finishing position uh of the rider that you select for that day Um, which, as opposed to doing it kind of based on time, makes you a little bit less susceptible to having your entire Jiro campaign collapse if you miss a breakaway. Um, Not not that breakaways aren't important. They still very much are. Uh, But it's a pretty simple scoring rubric. Uh, You you pick a rider every day, and if he finishes first, you get 15 points. If he finishes 10th, you get one point. Uh, And there's a sort of a rubric that assigns points based on the finishing. Uh, position and the the kind of cool unique thing about the cycling tips fantasy competition is that you can only pick a rider once uh, in the entire race. So if you pick Richard Carapass on the first mountain stage, you can't pick him the next mountain stage. Uh, so you have to be pretty judicious with your with your picks of the big favorites, and that adds quite a, a, a bit of strategy to it uh, and, and a kind of a fun element. Uh, you don't want to waste those big names early. If they're not perfectly suited to the stage, you might as well hold on to them. But at the same time, what if they crash out and you get to use them at all? Um, yeah, so that's a fun element to the game. And other than that, it's, I think it's pretty straightforward. So you, you pick a rider every day and uh, you get points based on where they finish. So yeah, hop on. Like I said, there's a banner currently on the website. You can you can join from there or just head over to fantasy.cyclingtips.com and sign up. Like I said, I have created a CT podcast league, mini league. Join that. And, uh, you know, we'll be doing a bunch of extra podcasts throughout the next month. And we'll be sure to mention who is leading that, if it's not Dane, throughout the throughout the next month. I think that's a Give decent chance it won't be me. That's what I, I don't want to, like, set the bar too high here. I think my dad's <laughs> beat me in the Cycling Coast Fantasy competition before. Um, so it's certainly doable. Well... Dane and Dade's dad. That's who you got to compete against exactly. because I'm going to be like right I'm there. going to be like third from last cuz I I pick heart picks and not head picks and they they never work out. But it makes me feel good at the time when I click save and I get to select Roman Bardet for the for the umpteenth time when he won't. We Martin is in this race as well, so uh, we'll have to get Shoddy playing. <laughs> Although he can't pick him every day, unfortunately. Like I said, hop on. 
uh, fantasy.cyclingtips.com. It's pretty easy. Sign up and join the Cycling Tips Podcast League. And if you're a Velo Club member, there's a Velo Club League. Like I said, you can also create your own. Uh, you can also lock them if you just, you know want to have some some friends and I don't know maybe put some money behind it. We would never condone such a thing, but uh, we do know that it happens out there. Let's get into contenders, Dane. Uh, we'll start with the GC because it's the big one. Who's at the race first yeah. and foremost? Who 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 might win the thing, and then we can talk a little bit about who actually will. Yeah, right on. Uh, so the the. The race features quite a few uh, former winners, or at least Grand Tour winners. Uh, two of them are among the top two favorites, and I'll start there. Richard Carpas, who won the race in 2019 uh, and has since been on the podium uh, of, of two other Grand Tours, the, the Tour de France and the, and the World of España, uh, at the helm of the Ineos Grenadiers team, which is quite strong, as it so often is. They're going for a third straight uh, win at the at the Giro, because after Carpas himself won while riding for Movistar, uh, Teo Gegenhardt and then Egan Bernal won. So Ineos has had quite a strong uh, showing at this race recently. Uh, the defending champion Egan Bernal is not here, but uh, Richard Carpas will be there to sort of defend Ineos's um, title. Uh, so he's probably your 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 top favorite. Although he's not, this isn't like Tadej Pogacar at the Tour de France. Um, you you will actually make your money back and more. If you put a bet on anybody in this race, because there's no super heavy favorite, uh, Carpas is the top uh, top guy probably, but you've also got Simon Yates, a former Grand Tour winner, who, uh, if if he and the Giro were in a relationship, the Facebook status would be it's complicated. Uh, Simon Yates has been <laughs> very successful. Do people still do that? I don't know. <laughs> but and, and maybe I'm dating sure. myself here by like I don't uh, because that could be something that hasn't been done for years. I, I really don't. I don't know. know. Johnny Johnny's a youth. I, I kind of doubt that they do. <laughs> probably not, but it's probably the perfect analogy. So. Thank you. I'll try to come up with some TikTok analogies in the future uh, to connect to the younger crowd. Uh, he has done really well. Simon Yates has done really well on certain stages at the Giro d'Italia. He's won uh, many stages in his career. Uh, but, of course, there was that one year where he was dominant for about four-fifths of the race and then dropped out of GC contention entirely. Uh, but later that year, he did go on to win the Vuelta. So he kind of, I think, uh, answered some questions about can he succeed throughout a three-week Grand Tour. I think the answer is yes, just not that year's Giro, apparently. Uh, so he's the other, I think, main contender here. Uh, and then the the third guy who's... Uh, pretty popular with with people who make the picks will be Joao Almeida, uh, whose track record is not quite what Carapaz and Simon Yates are bringing to the table. And that Almeida has well, he's only ridden two Grand Tours, uh, and he has yet to finish on the podium in a Grand Tour. But he's very good. Uh, he's he's very good at time trialing, and that will help him. I think he would prefer more time trialing on the route. Uh, but he has shown so far this year that he's climbing very well. He, of course, moved teams to UAE, and they're pretty good at winning Grand Tours lately, uh, and they're pretty good at scouting talent lately, so I don't think they would be going all-in for Joao Almeida if he were uh, not coming to this race with a chance of winning. Uh, I I personally would be a little bit surprised if Almeida um, was there and, and consistently shining throughout the race, uh, but... There's a lot of people who like his chances here. So I think that's your top three favorites. But there are quite a few other 
uh, big names at the race um, who, who are maybe in the second tier of contenders. Uh, that, that, that list features quite a few stars. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just sort of cruising through the start list here. Tom Dumoulin is an obvious one, although obviously huge question mark over him because he's, he's still kind of on, the, on his way back. Uh, Nika Landa is there. Johan Angel Lopez is there. Roman Both Barbe of those riders, by the way, unlike, unlike Dumoulin, but uh, Landa and Lopez will, I think, really like the course. Uh, it's so climber-friendly, and, and so often their Grand Tour bids are torpedoed by their uh, bad time trials. And I don't think they, there's just not enough time trialing on this route to have that much of an impact for them. And I would think that this this course suits them better than I'm trying to think back to another Grand Tour that was as good for them that they've raced. I mean, there there have been a there's been a tour back there that was pretty climber friendly, but this this looks pretty good for both of them. I mean, we we've been talking about them as contenders for so long, and they never really quite win. Uh, but they've got a chance. What about Bill Bow? I think so. I think it's really interesting the position in which he finds himself. Bahrain's second guy did pretty well for himself last year after. After Landa left the race, uh, they, you know, they came with Damiano Caruso, who was supposed to be sort of a lieutenant, and you know, he went and finished second overall. Uh, so maybe Peo Bilbao will find himself in the same situation. Uh, I think he's certainly a good bet for stage wins. He's, he's got a nice finish. Any other sort of dark horses we should be looking at here? I mean, yeah, it and, is, and it, it's, a, it's such a climbing heavy course that like, I start to look toward guys like Hugh Carthy, who's, who's ridden his way into the top 10 at the Giro before. Um, you know, you take he's not he's not actually a terrible time trial, so he just looks like he should be. And <laughs> and but it's it's, it's still not his, his specialty, right? So, you know, having fewer time trial kilometers is probably in the end a good thing for a rider like that, right? Yeah, and, and there are a few other big names. Uh Bora Hansgro has a really interesting lineup in that they have three riders who will be I think contenders. None of them on his own is a top top contender. But Wilco Kettleman, uh, Jai Hindley, and Emmanuel Bookman are all you know potential guys, and that's a really strong team. Uh, so I think that's an interesting. I, I hope they will try to you know leverage their numerical advantage to to be aggressive. We'll see. Uh, there are a few other big names. Roman Bardet is is one of them. You know this is certainly a Bardet friendly course. Uh, it's been quite some time since Roman Bardet did a lot in a Grand Tour from a GC perspective. Uh, but he's at DSM now, and I think he's got a chance. Um, Alejandro Valverde and Ivan Sosa, who headed over to Movistar this year, uh, are an, an interesting tandem. Uh, Trek's got Giulio Ciccone uh, and Balco Moloma. Uh, Guillaume Martin of Cofidis is always... You never know. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Uh <laughs> And there is one. There is another former winner of the race, uh, two-time former winner of the race, uh, who, you know, it's been a little while since he did a lot. But uh, should things not go the way Astana plans for dun, dun. Miguel Angel Lopez, dun, dun. they do have the shark dun, dun, uh, dun, lurking dun, dun, in the waters, dun, dun, and the race dun, 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 is dun, 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 heading to Sicily. Uh, so you know, who knows? Uh, he was decent <laughs> at the Tour of Sicily earlier this year, uh, Vincenzo Nibali, that is. Yeah, it feels like a bit of – he's in victory lap mode at this point. At this I think, point, I I think, think that's though. probably like, correct. Um, I, I like, I'm not sure he has it in him to, to suffer that hard for three weeks. I think he'll win a stage. I bet I bet Nibbles wins the stage, absolutely. He did finish right. second at the Giro as recently as 2019, which is not that long ago. All right, so 
picks. It's time for picks. I, some people love picks. Some people hate picks. Rampant speculation. We have no idea, really. Dane, who do you got? Who, who's going to win the Giro this year? I like Carpas. Uh, I think if you look at his Grand Tour record over the past few years, while he has not necessarily... Uh, you know, he, he's done quite well at the Vuelta and the Tour uh, in these past few years here, and the riders who beat him uh, those years are not here. There's no Ruglitch, there's no Pogacar. Uh, I think without those guys, he looks to be the strongest, and the Ineos team is really great. Um, Pavel Sivakov, I, I'm not sure we mentioned him, and Richie Port as well, both on that team. Um, I think Ineos has a good chance here. Johnny, who do you got? My heart says Hikarthi, but my head also says Carapaz, purely for the point that today Richie Port was saying that Ineos are not afraid to get the Sky Train out again, um, which should sort of fill everyone watching at home with dread that we could end up watching that for two weeks. Um, but let's hope for it. I'm afraid yeah. of them getting the Sky Train out again. <laughs> yeah. He said it kind of whimsically as well, like it was like a fun thing and it was like, this is not a fun thing. <laughs> He's like, but it's, it might be boring, but it's not boring winning. And it's like, well, only you and like eight other people are going to say that, Richie. It's the eight, the eight versus the millions uh, of fans <laughs> out there that have, to live, that have to live through it. But hey, you know, if they win the bike race, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, my head pick, same as you both. Richard Carapaz, like... All signs point to him having a very good Giro and probably winning the thing just based off of prior prior showings. But there's a bunch of riders that like like the, the podium for me is really is really interesting. You know, I think beyond Carapaz is kind of a top favorite, who's second and third. Yates has to be up there for me, barring a very strange day like he has had, let's be honest, numerous times over the course of his career. Um he just sort of on paper, like if you did sort of a a watts per kilo two and a half weeks into a, a grand tour, he's probably first or second, right? And so in a race like this with all this climbing, he's a pretty, he's a pretty solid bet. I would love to see Roman Bardet do something again. Same. I mean, you know, the guy was, what, was it 2016 he was second at the Tour de France? Um so it's been a while. 2016 is a long time ago now. I, I, you know, as I get older, it doesn't seem like that far ago, but that was, <laughs> was a long time ago. Uh, and, and, but the thing is, he's, he's still well within kind of the, I don't know, the, the, the normal age range for a peak rider. I mean, he's, he's 31 years old, right? Like, he's younger than a lot of our recent Grand Tour winners. So I'd like to see him do something. I think, yeah, head pick. Richard Carapaz will win this bike race. Heart pick. I'd love to see Roman Bardet just come out swinging. And he's had some some decent rides this spring. He's shown sort of inklings of, of his old form. And uh, hey, you never know. Even after scampering down after Juliana Philippe and the Liège crash, just based on sort of good karma, it'd be nice to see him get a result. You know, if that yeah, if that's all that absolutely. counted, and if only hearts pit, heart picks counted, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> But again, this is why I always lose the, the fantasy league. Yeah. <laughs> because, because I'll like, I'll just, yeah, I'll just pick all the wrong people. Uh, let's talk sprinters real quick. The, there's quite a few sprint stages in this race, and there's quite a few high-profile high sprinters in this race, not least of which is Mark Cavendish. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the, the sort of 
in detail the, the opening couple stages and we'll wrap up for the day. Sprinters. Dane, who are we looking at other than other than Cav, which I already mentioned? Who yeah, I mentioned? Uh, Cav will have competition because Caleb Ewan is uh, is here. Well, there, here for Johnny, there for me. Uh, he's, I think, going to be a pretty. I think it'll be a pretty evenly matched, uh, sort of at the top of the sprints between those two riders. With Cav having the benefit of Michael Morkow, who is you know okay at leading out. Uh, Caleb Ewan, of course, is a little bit more versatile. I think on some of the trickier finishes he'll have a, a little bit of an advantage uh but there are actually quite a few sprinters kind of at the second tier uh fernando gaviria is one of them he's a rider who you know four years ago i thought he was going to be the, the best sprinter in the world he looked like it for a couple of months and then just one injury after another and one covid positive after another uh the poor guy has had some some health issues but he's looked pretty good so far this year uh so and he's still only 27 um, and I think there's a, there's a decent chance that he can kind of win some stages. I kind of hope he does uh, to, to make it interesting. Giacomo Nitolo is another one, uh, one of my favorites. He's won the Giro Points competition before. He finally won a stage last year after years and years and years of coming close. Uh, and he will certainly be up there. Whether he can turn it into a stage win or not, who knows. But he'll definitely be. He's always up there uh, for the Israel team. Uh, Arnaud Demar is another name to watch uh, in the sprints. Uh, and another one who's generally kind of in the mix, as they say. Uh, a really interesting one, the one that I think a lot of us are really excited to watch, uh, is Bidian Germay, who is headed of the Giro d'Italia. It'll be his first Grand Tour. And I think he kind of fits into the Ewan camp, where on some of the trickier days, he could be, he could really be up there. Um, he's he's already, probably you know, he's got, even more versatile, I would say. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's we saw he's already won a a one-day classic, uh, yeah. you know, like one year into his world tour career. Uh, like a, he's like almost like a less bulky saga to me, I feel like. Yeah, and there are quite a few stages of this Giro that, that I think suit that sort of rider. Uh, so so he's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, bringing him up, though, and, and the, the hillier stages, obviously Matthew Vanderpool is a rider to beat in all of those. Uh, you know, he could be up there in the bunch sprints, but he's definitely going to be up there in that sort of lumpier, intermediate kind of days. Um, and he's going to be one to watch. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see. We haven't really seen him uh, head-to-head in the bunch sprints that often yet in his career. Uh, we've seen that, a fair bit of that from, from Watt Van Aert, but we haven't seen so much of that from Matthew Vanderpool. So I'm looking forward to that at this Giro, uh, just seeing how he does in the pure bunch sprints. But then in the lumpier days, I think he's a... Very obvious candidate. Um, there's just a few other kind of stage hunters. Attila Walter is one of them. Uh, Groupam FDJ and the, uh, I think, the only Hungarian rider on the start list. I think that's what you said, Johnny. Uh, Diego Ulissi is, has just some ridiculous number of Giro stage on, on his Palmares. He seems to win a stage or two every year. Um, UAE has actually got quite a few. Uh, Joe Dombrowski is here. I mean, he, he's always good for a potential breakaway day. Alessandro Covey, another UAE rider. Magnus Court for EF. Um, yeah, so there, there's a few of these kind of intermediate stage hunters, and that, they'll make it interesting. But I, I think the Matthew Vanderpool versus the world battles should be pretty fun for most of those hilly days. And we'll see if Alpes and Phoenix can uh, you know, control the race enough to, to keep him in the mix. It'll be interesting to watch. Is, is Vanderpool racing the Tour this year? I think that's the yeah. plan. And I think he plans to finish both as well. I was going to say, I mean, 
it wouldn't surprise me if he popped off early from the Giro, but also maybe he views this as a way to kind of get the kilometers back in the legs after kind of a weird last season or so, uh, injuries, et cetera. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to keep an eye on. I, I think that's actually a pretty good segue, Vanderpool, into these first couple stages. Let, let's kind of let's kind of dig into these a little bit. The, the first stage is is fascinating to me. Like I, I'm sitting here trying to make my my fantasy pick for who is going to win this thing or who's going to be in the top ten. I guess is is really the, what we're what we're looking for for the Cycling Tips fantasy game. And it's just a really it's a tricky one because it is basically dead flat for 189 kilometers, and then the last four or five k goes uphill but not at nine percent where you could say oh it's going to be one of the gc guys it goes uphill at 4.2 percent ish like someone a sprinter could hang on to this like this could be anywhere from valverde to caleb ewan this this finale and i'm not really sure johnny do you have any insight into like what exactly this climb looks like i mean i'm assuming you haven't had a chance to actually see it yet but what is this thing what are we looking at here the the finishes like to the north of Budapest they go on a they go west on a big loop out to the Finnish town in the north. Cavendish today said that it's going to be too hard for the pure sprinters. Who exactly he means by that is sort of anyone's guess. But then I think the key thing is that Van der Poel said he played down his own chances and said like oh you know it's going to be one of the other guys. So I think that basically should get your alarm bells ringing and that he's <laughs> either just going to sprint away or attack at some point up the climb and just win. And I think he really wants another leader's jersey in a Grand Tour. Who it's else? A, who else is... Go ahead, Dave. It's about a 5% gradient for the last two-ish kilometers, which is, you know, hard. And I think what Cav said is pretty accurate, depending on how you want to characterize the pure sprinters. But, I mean, Matthew Vanderpool is definitely capable of a 5% gradient. And, and so is Caleb Ewan. I mean, I've seen him power up the Hata Dam climb at the UAE Tour. Uh, which is steeper than that, uh, and he's been just fine. And as long as it's not too long of a climb, you know, the the uh, absurd amounts of power that he can put out, and, and I mean, honestly, so can Cav, but I think it's a little tricky for Cav. Uh, I think they'll they'll be up there. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of those guys, and obviously Binyam Gramai as well is another rider to watch there. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that those guys, to be a good sprinter in, in, well, in the modern peloton, in any peloton, it's not just the last five seconds, right? It's you have to have pretty incredible sort of last five minute power. Basically, you need to be able to go deep into the red and, and come back and and recover from those those big, big, big efforts. And so the so even sticking in the wheels at 70 K an hour into a sprint finish is actually probably not that different from trying to stick in the wheels for just a couple kilometers in and in a climb at the end of this thing. I do think I mean, I agree with Cab there. Cav ain't winning. <laughs> it's going to be way too hard for him. Caleb Ewan's on the edge. Uh, I mean, is it is it enough of a climb for, like I said, like a Valverde or some other? If they make it really hard, I mean, a, a, a climb that long, a 5K climb, is still going to be, what, 10-ish minutes. Uh, they'll probably do 30K an hour up it-ish. That's, that's, a, that's a longer effort than the pure sprinters are going to be comfortable with. Um, but it's not really long enough effort for the pure climbers. But if they made it super hard at the bottom, I could see a Valverde, or I could see. I think Diego Ulissi also fits that mold. This is very yeah. much a Ulissi style stage where it's hard enough that he can kind of get up there. Valverde to me is probably the only GC type uh, who is 
potential here. I mean, maybe Richard Carpas just drops everybody, but it just doesn't seem that steep. And I think that you're probably going to look at some riders who are just trying to stay right near the front so they could potentially take the Magliarosa on day two, which let's get into day two. It's a time trial. The weird day two prologue. It's a, it's a time trial and it's short enough and it's got this climb in it that honestly there I feel like quite a few of the same riders who I would think of for the first, well, basically Matthew Venerable. Uh, it's a similar, the time, like the, the, the sort of that, that peak power time exactly. that I was talking about earlier, like that's a, it's the same thing. It's a 10 minute-ish effort, right? Exactly. So I think Vanderpool is a great, great pick for that second stage. Uh, Joao made it as well. Uh, he's good at the shorter TTs. And then, yeah, I mean, Diego Lissi maybe. Magnus Court, another name. Uh, who could maybe shine there? It's not a long enough TT that like a... Oh, well, okay, I say that. Philip Ogana could probably win the thing, but like most TT specialists would wish this was longer. Um, and, and Ghana's not at this race, by the way. So I think it's a, a trickier one to call. Dumoulin? Do we see him put a he, little stake in the sand here? It's funny. I feel like earlier in his career, he was actually... There were a few instances where he put down kind of 10-minute power that was really impressive or it was, was punchy on some trickier, steeper climbs that I think that skill set could come in handy if he still has it. But it's been a while since we've seen that. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I certainly think he's a, definitely a contender for that stage. I think uh, another name worth mentioning, which maybe isn't sort of at the tip of the tongue for, for most, is, is Eduardo Afini. And he, for some reason, he's sort of flown under the radar for the last couple of years. He's won some stuff. He was second at uh, two of... He's second twice, actually, in the, uh, in the Giro last year. Second and then third in the two Giro time trials last year. He's a pretty solid bet and does well in these sort of, of length time trials as well. He's, he's, he might be my fantasy pick, uh, actually, for day two, because I'm not sure I want to use up Dumoulin just yet. And that's where the, that's where the tactics come in. Moving on to the final stage in hungary a a sprint stage stage three is absolutely a sprint stage uh we kind of talked sprinters earlier is there anything to keep an eye out for this one well as matt denif cleverly points out in his preview uh they are going to be racing on the shores of a big lake uh for most of the finale which does create the potential for wind uh who knows Uh, but i think the likeliest teams to thrive in the wind well team that I'm thinking of is also the team that has probably the fastest sprinter and the best leadout man. Uh, so it could just be more uh, Cav friendly with Michael Morcow leading the way than he, it might have otherwise been already uh, with a flat stage. Uh, he, he seems to be a great pick for that one. Although, you know, Caleb Ewan's pretty fast. Johnny, there was some question for Cav in the in his press conference about um, like an overall Grand Tour win record. I think that Cipollini has, right? Now, Cav had no idea what the what the question asker was was talking about so it's clearly not something that he's he's focused on but he's he's not that far off of it right it was a dynamite cav moment and sort of like the invention of zoom just facilitates more of these cav moments to exist than we could have ever hoped um (laughs) yeah cipollini's on 57 grand tour stage victories and cavs on 52 so the question was, does Cav... You, you say that like Cipollini might get more. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Well, you never know. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Um, no, but... So Cav's only five away. Um, 
but and he was asked like if this is a goal of his and, he's, and he replied well if I if I can't understand what the goal is then I'm probably not going for it but um <laughs> which is just helpful really to be honest so Cap doesn't really care uh but isn't that far off and if he had a really good Giro he'd be he'd be pretty damn close he's so. already got I think 15 career Giro stage wins which is pretty that's a lot yeah yeah and if if I mean, he's got Michael Marco, so I, I won't I won't put anything past him at, at this particular Giro. We like I said, we already talked sprinters. There's really nothing else to 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 mention for Sunday, uh, and then they make their way back to Sicily on Monday, and we'll make another podcast and we'll talk about what's coming on on Tuesday. So with that, I think I think that's it from us today. That was the Giro preview episode. Like I said, we'll be back on. Monday, I guess Tuesday morning for you listeners by the time it actually gets to you with, uh, well, more Jiro podcasts. And I think you know, we don't ex- we don't know exactly when the extra episodes will drop throughout the next three weeks, but we'll be keeping an eye out for interesting stages and interesting things to talk about. And I think you can, you can bet on at least two or so podcasts a week through the Jiro from us. And with that, go sign up for the Cycling Tips Fantasy Competition join the ct podcast mini league and see if you can beat dane's dad and you know the rest of the podcast too man there's a lot of pressure <laughs> being put on my my family's fantasy all right we're out of here thanks for listening everybody bye-bye